welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to Syosset Library's Turn the Page podcast. My name is Jessica. I am one of your hosts today, but I am joined by um, one of uh, my coworkers who's another horror fan. Would you like to tell everyone who you are? Hi, I'm Melissa. My second interview here. <laughs> Welcome back to uh, Turn the Page, Melissa. Hopefully we'll have some more uh, with you as well. Uh, but we're here. Uh, we're really excited. Our guest today is the author of a book called Spite House, which was super scary and good. So please tell everyone who you are. My name is Johnny Compton. I'm an author based out of San Antonio, Texas. And as you mentioned, I'm the author of The Spite House, which is my debut novel through Tor Nightfire coming out February 7th. So before we get going, um, so you this is your debut novel, but you've written before and you've done um, other... I've written short stories. I've, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, a decent amount of short stories published since 2006. I've been published in Pseudopod, Strange Horizons, the No Sleep Podcast, just to name a, a few. I've got some more short stories coming up in some forthcoming anthologies, as well as in the uh, the Nightlight Podcast, which I'm a huge fan of. And uh, I've been writing primarily horror um, that entire time as well. I've tried my hand at some other things, some uh, crime fiction, and some of my stories that are published do merge genres, and I would like to try to write some more crime and noir-styled fiction, but primarily, so far, home base for me has been horror. Which is awesome, because we love it. Um <laughs> So, so much. So uh, let's jump right in, because I know we both have things we want to talk about with The Spite House. Um, Melissa, do you want to go first? Okay, so I read The Spite House, and I'm reading bits and pieces about the house. And throughout the ha- the novel, I kept wondering if you had any um, real-life houses that you based this off of. Because we both talked about the Freeport Spite House and the Massapequa Spite House. And I couldn't help but think of the um, Winchester Mystery House when I read some of the parts about it. Oh wow, that's the the Winchester House did not uh, occur to me, but I'm I'm <laughs> always happy to get that comparison because that's one of the most famous, strange, bizarre houses that anyone can think of, and the architecture there obviously is infamously unusual and unsettling for people that have been inside the house or even even uh, read about it. Yes, I did have some in mind when I was thinking of the architecture of the house and even some of the backstory that takes place in the novel. There's the skinny house in Boston that was my initial jumping off point. That's a spite house. I this The entire novel, kind of the original seed planted for it was me just reading an article about spite houses in general and being fascinated by it. Hadn't known about spite houses before. And then I read this article and I wondered, had anyone ever written a horror story or a haunted house story set in one. And from my research, it turned out nobody had. Um, if somebody had previously beat me to it, I just happened to miss it. But that so far has been the response I've received from a lot of people that they were surprised this hadn't been done before. Which so, makes no sense because like, what a great topic. Continue. It continue. is. Just jump out I there was, and be like, why? But also good for you because you jumped 
that. <laughs> yeah, I was I was actually really startled. Uh, it, you're right. It, it doesn't make sense for it to this to have existed all this time. I think there's just it just goes to show that there are so many things that are overlooked that are out there. So many scary little things that are overlooked that we kind of repeatedly go back to the same things over and over as horror writers. And I know I've been guilty of it in the past, but there are a lot of little little undiscovered areas that you can use to amplify your story, separate it from the pack tweaks that you can make and just using these things that are part of our history and part of the bizarre culture of whether it's the United States, whatever other uh, country you may be from, or just the world entire it. um, There's just so much that's unexplored in on the page, but um, yeah, so I, I read that article and the skinny house was the one that jumped out at me. So I took the architecture from there. Um, I think there's a spite house called the Alameda spite house. It's so crazy because I can't remember the names of most of them other than the skinny house, which is in Boston. Um, but there's the Alameda. I think it's called the Alameda spite house. And I took some of, I believe the backstory of that. There's another, and that I, I'm never going to remember the name of, um, but that has the, the kind of jettied uh, hallway, the exterior hallway. That's almost like a tumor growing out of this structure. And that is a, uh, also one of the places that I had in mind. So it was, it was a merger of multiple um, real world spite houses. And then, um, like I said, I, I wish I you know could take credit for the, the Winchester mansion comparison <laughs> there that that did not cross my mind. But <laughs> ambitiously, what did was a fictional house was uh, Shirley Jackson's Hill House. Um, so setting it on a hill. We have hills in the Texas Hill Country. That was an area as well that I thought this is very underexplored. It's not really what people think of when they think of Texas. So this would be pretty cool to set the story here. When I'm driving through the Hill Country, see the houses on the hill kind of overlooking certain areas. You think, now oh, this if this was like, I mean, it can already look menacing. If it was built a certain type of way and had a certain backstory behind it, it would just be all the more menacing to be resting on top of this hill and overlooking everything. So it's the combination of all those things to develop the architecture and the backstory of the house i feel like horror writers do that so much they take specifically where they live or where they love and they just find the most unique most unexplored places like t king fisher does that a lot with south carolina yeah. king does that with maine all the time so it's like i love i love when horror writers do that because i really get to see the state and i've never been to texas so i get to see it in a totally different light than what the media has and what i know from you know other media sources <laughs> texas in particular i mean it's it's obviously a physically large state and it's pretty varied in terms of terrain when you actually get into it and the types of people and types of towns you might get into and there are certain places that live up to certain stereotypes and other places that will definitely defy certain stereotypes at least in in certain respects and so it is kind of fun to use that as your uh, kind of sandbox and your playground <laughs> and get into the the ideas. I mean, I'm, I'm already working on book two and I found a place in the Hill country that has an incredibly macabre name and an inc incredibly macabre backstory. And I want I'm, this book now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm, it's so, I, when I, I can't wait. When I stumbled across this article about this place, and I was just like, Oh, this is, this is one of the craziest things I've ever um, read as far as just the name alone. And then you get into the backstory and it's very gruesome and 
but there's all this mystery behind it of what which story is true because there's multiple potential stories as to why it got its name. And I know I'm being deliberately vague and, and teasing, but I, you know I, I don't want to let the cat out the bag, so to speak. But it's just more information. And I have a, a good friend here in Texas as well, Agatha Andrews. She was we we were just talking. She's gearing up to write some some material that I'm really excited for because she's more of a historian about Texas than I am. And so she was telling me about a couple of different things. And I was like, you have to absolutely write. She was like, I don't know if this is going to maybe work. And I was like, this this is absolutely going to work. You have to write this. This is mind blowing. I'd never heard of this. And this sounds terrifying. You you have to write something about this because it's it's so much fun. And so to your point, it is great to get um get a sense of a, a place like you said, Stephen King with with Maine, uh, 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 you know Kingfisher, like you mentioned with South Carolina, uh, Grady Hendrix, I know uh, does uh, South Carolina as well. Yes, um, so many different people. You know, here in Texas, we got Joe Lansdale, who's been you know is a legend, and he's been you know kind of uh, uh, one of the people to to raise the bar for what uh, Texas horror and macabre fiction looks like for for decades now. You just get such a, a good sense of this these places and also an idea of I'm I'm always fascinated by the idea of lore and the unknown in some of these places and an idea of certain secret histories that you haven't necessarily heard about, the strange places that if you go to a local town, everybody kind of knows, hey, that uh that hill over there in that valley, something crazy happened over there. And they say you hear voices if you if you go out there at a certain time of night. I love that kind of thing you know people say hey if you drive across this bridge at you know if you happen to be a truck driver and you drive across this bridge at 2 a.m on your you know your deliveries or what have you um don't be surprised if you see x y or z on the side of the road or hear <laughs> something come across the radio that you're you're scared about and hearing about that in all these different little pockets of the united states and pockets of the world i'm a huge sucker for that i've been a sucker for that since i was a kid so first of all, uh, just kind of let's like rewind slightly. So um, what is a spite house for those who were yeah. listening and are now Googling all these places? And they're like, <laughs> what, what are they talking about? They're just casually throwing this around. What is a spite house? Right, right. Yeah, we should we should define it, right? Um, spite house is, as the name would imply, it's a place built to spite someone or something. And that's the primary purpose of it, more so than it's designed to be lived in is designed for you to express your hatred your dislike your disapproval your defiance of x y or z uh, most of the ones that i initially had read about were of a, a more petty and spiteful variety and um so that made them an ideal setting for uh, a haunted house story in my opinion and there are you know a variety of reasons they could have some people are building the house to defy uh potential acquisition of their land from the government that was a couple of them that i ran across people you know building a house specifically just to say well i have a, a narrow strip of land or i have a small strip of land is going to be seized in imminent domain to build a road this is my land you can't do that the government says well uh, or the local municipal municipality says the law state you have to have a residence here for us not to take it okay I'll, I'll build my house here and even if the land doesn't really have the size or the geometry to properly accommodate a, a, a reasonable residence you build it on this property anyway just to defy them or defy somebody else so that's why you see them with some bizarre architecture oftentimes like we mentioned the skinny house in boston and it is genuinely thin it's four stories tall and you look at it you can tell this is built for some kind of stunt 
in in some respect. And so that's what a lot of spite houses are. There are a couple that are probably a little bit more of a, a benevolent or probably more wholesome idea behind them. I know that there's a famous spite house um, that is painted in LGBTQ colors. Yep. I, yep. Um, the, uh, is that the pride house, I think? Yes. 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 yes I'm a fan. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And so like, then, you know, you kind of like, oh, like there's the the positive side potentially to it. But of course, I'm a horror author. So I gravitated to the ones that looked like they were more about, oh, this is just built purely out of anger and a, a sense of just pure disdain. And I just imagine the person who would build that. And if there is such a thing as an afterlife and hauntings and ghosts, um, you would definitely be stuck in that house, I imagine, after you've you've built something purely out of spite. So also to kind of rewind but go back forward again you talked about how your love for lore and everything like that um do you do anything or do you um research on anything on conspiracies i know that sounds weird but in one of the sentences you use the term chemtrail as opposed to like any other terminology and it does seem so absolutely fitting that people like these ghost hunters quote-unquote ghost hunters Mm -hmm. Um, who believe in the paranormal and whatnot would call these ectoplasmic remains chemtrails because it's just so conspiratorial. There, you know, gosh, that's a great question. So the word conspiracy, I don't, I don't want to get too, God, I'll go down a rabbit hole. It's or, a rabbit or, hole. <laughs> down a, a, a side, a whole side street like that ventures into like I'm picturing Texas side street. So next thing you know, you look up and you're deep in the woods and you don't know how you even got here. But so I'm trying to be as concise as possible with this, but the word conspiracy for me, because I'm I'm 43 years old, when I was a kid growing up, conspiracies were like um, still more. So, I mean, you had some government idea of conspiracies, who killed Kennedy, things along those na- along those lines. But when I think of conspiracy still, I think of basically time life books. There used to be these commercials that would come on and they would be like, ghosts and yes. yes. So I am the I, same age as you. And <laughs> I think about these commercials all the time and I'm trying to remember because I look up um I was looking up recently what this series was but it was like you know I'd be homesick from school and I'm sure that you had this experience too and it's like a man stands in front of Stonehenge and points yes I don't know like it was like a cloverleaf shaped piece of what was it like almost like a, a wire hanger like shaped into yes it was like a dousing rod basically right, something happens or it, and and they were so creepy but they kind of lend themselves to feeling legitimate because they were associated with time life and there's a whole thing behind that which i'm sure you know uh because i i recently went down a rabbit hole about um, these commercials, somebody posted one on social media, and I was like, "I thought I dreamed this, and it's real." <laughs> no, they're they're real. They're really out there. It, yeah, those I love those so much. And you're right. They're, they're, I mean, like it's so weird that they were associated with time life. It's kind of like the the precursor to what eventually, unfortunately, happened to like the History Channel, <laughs> where the History Channel at some point became yeah. everything's aliens. Became- right. Aliens, and, and uh, yeah. because we're not using video, I'm making the hand signal for aliens. <laughs> Alien, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a reveal, that. like it's magic. Yeah. Oh, and so that to me, when I I still think of conspiracy in a, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, more innocent capacity, and more playful and more fun 
that is what I think of. <laughs> and so there, there is some kind of that terminology that leaks into the books and leaks into some of my writing because it, it is still hearkening back to this idea of the people that once upon a time, the conspiracy was more like, oh, these things, the supernatural exists and nobody's telling you about it, right? Yeah. You know, the Vatican is hiding secret uh you know, books and they have a secret library that tells you all about the afterlife and the supernatural that they don't want anybody to know about. And the alien conspiracies are out there. And obviously nowadays conspiracy is a lot, I think a lot more sinister, oddly enough, um, because we think of it in terms of people trying to undermine reality in a, in a much more nefarious and, and unsettling way versus, you know, like I said, the, and, and like Jessica pointed out, the, the commercials you'd watch when you're a kid, home from school and, and kind of sick and paranormal encounters and which are these... which are is mysteries of the unknown yes the name mysteries, of the of the unknown. mysteries of the unknown and you can get them on etsy um if you want if people are interested if you're or if you're a collector but continue johnny I'm trying to i'm trying to think if i actually have one i think i have one of one of them in the series i'd have to look around my scattering of books somewhere around the house but i have one that i believe is called phantom encounters and if it, if i don't still have it then i don't know where i lost it but i can still picture the cover which Visions was and prophecies was one oh that phantom and the, the one i i had or still have had a a phantom kind of spectral glowing ish knight on the cover you can see the knight's face because his mask is a little bit yes, open it's called, it's there's called a woman phantom on the encounters yes, yes absolutely oh. yep i'm looking at i'm looking at a picture of it right now and it is a rare find you can sell it on etsy for eight bucks just letting you know <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> nice if I'm, if I'm down and out and i need to part ways with it to to grab some quick cash i know i can at least do that <laughs> i i mean those are the books that kind of used to get me in trouble when i was uh at the library and my dad would you know be like hey you, you need to go study and then come back around and <laughs> I've got the books I'm supposed to be studying piled up. And then I, <laughs> I, I just grabbed this so I could read it real quick. And no, you, you should be reading about the actual, like some actual history, not phantom encounters and all the other uh, ghosts and alien abductions and all these creepy, spooky things and local lore and legends. And so to me that in my brain, despite it probably not making a whole lot of sense, they're still woven together. The conspiracies yes. and your local legends. There is something I think about when we even write a lot of um, short stories or, or fiction that's based around like a small town, there is something conspir often conspiratorial about the way the characters behave in the small town. When they say, hey, don't go into that house or don't go to this area. One of my favorite movies is the original adaptation of The Woman in Black that was a, a BBC film, TV film. Um, and it, it also comes to play within obviously the novel itself and, and the, the later remake, but I'm, I always think of nobody really tells um, the protagonist exactly why he shouldn't be doing the things he should be doing and like why this house is supposed to be haunted. They don't want to give him any of the story. All the, the local townsfolk know is this outsider is coming to town. And if he messes up with, with whatever he's doing, it's going to result in some bad things. But at the same time, they, they hold it so close to the vest. They don't, all you have to do is maybe explain it, try to explain it. And that would actually serve you better than keeping it a secret, but they're just still very talking around him, talking past him, literally ignoring him at certain points. When he asks a direct question, why didn't anybody else help this child? When I helped them, they're like, Hey, you should have just left it alone. Well, why just tell him about the ghost, tell him about the haunting, tell him about this woman in black that is, you know, anytime she appears, something horrible happens to a kid. They're not going to tell him about that. 
and it's still very conspiratorial. So I think that that also is part of why I write that way and, and use some of that terminology, because to me, they're they're kind of connected. The idea of these small towns, these ghosts, these people that feel like I know the secret, I know the reality, but I'm not necessarily going to share that with everybody. So let's talk a little bit about this family. Yeah, this family. Um, so you have Eric, Des, and Stacy, and they are on the run. And you keep as for, talking about keeping things close to the chest. You really, you really keep that close to the chest for a while as to why they're on the run. But you also manage to get the reader to really care about these, this family and why, um, you know, this, so this is, um, it's um, an African-American family, a black family in Texas, taking this crazy job to live in this spite house to prove that it's haunted. And like, they, they really kind of give breadcrumbs crumbs you're talking about before, like, well, you know, well, why, why aren't the people who were doing this before still here, uh, you know, it just didn't bring them out too much, well, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, like it, it raises the stakes because this is a dad really trying to protect his kids. And then Des sort of has her own thing going and it, it's a really interesting dynamic. So when you brought them into it, did the story begin with the spite house or did the story begin with the family? story began great question the story began more so with the family um the spite house setting it, it just kind of serendipitously as these kind of different different but compatible ideas came about they both kind of came together almost simultaneously but the family and the dynamic and the secret and everything about them being on the run all of that hit me a little bit earlier and i wanted to write something that was kind of a um almost a a, a vibe of uh, the movie Poltergeist, what would the family do in order to kind of protect uh, one another in the face of supernatural adversity? However, trying to switch things up a little bit and not make it as much about this, the house you moved into, and this is affecting your your living space, your your home and shelter. This is a family that's on the run for certain reasons, so they're obviously up against it. They They're um, kind of in a, a, for lack of a better term, a little bit of a self-imposed fugitive state, and they're they're more desperate than you know. You, you always wonder in haunted house stories why don't they just leave the house? Which, having actually worked in the mortgage industry and being a, a, an adult these days, I don't really question that anymore. I'm like, you know, it depends on what the ghost is, is actually doing. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's scarier to live with a ghost than it is to mess up my credit personally. But you still want to, you know, it's. It depends, right? If it's just footsteps in the night or knocking, something like that, I could I can deal with that. If you start like screaming hysterically and doing anything that's gonna drive me crazy, maybe that'll be something we revisit. But I did want the family to have a something that they need to bond over, obviously have a, a, a dynamic that hopefully people can relate to and and ask yourself, what would you do in this scenario, whether you're the father, whether you're like you said, uh Des has a situation going on. She's had to grow up a little too fast. She's um, dealt with some some difficult things and circumstances, and now she's on the run and trying to not just protect her younger sister, but in her own way, she's there trying to protect her father as much as he's trying to protect her. And so they have that bit of conflict actually going on where um, their disagreements stem from they both love each other and are trying to do the best for one another. And he's trying to say, you know, I'm, I'm the dad, I need to protect you. And she's 
conversely trying to think of, well, I, I can't just leave this all to yourself. I'm also an adult now and I need to be able to take care of things um, as well for myself and for my sister in case something does happen to you. And I, I tried to weave all of these ideas together for this family that hopefully makes them likable and good to be around, but you also understand why they have certain conflict and difficulty and challenges amongst each other, as well as their, their circumstances. Now you talk about, um, you know, their circumstances, their difficulties, I mean, like that. But I think it's important to note too, um, for people who might be interested in reading it and haven't started it yet. Um, the book has different perspectives. All the, every single chapter is from a different person, whether it's, um, the main characters maybe multiple times or one person maybe once or twice. Um, was that your plan in order to help get their difficulties across or was it something that just kind of rolled as you went along or? It, it rolled a bit as I went along. I probably got a little too self-indulgent there um, because I, I just wanted to get into the mind of certain people. And um, for instance, there's there's the uh, the reporter, kind of retired reporter, local character and she's based on an actual um texas reporter um now past but uh named molly ivins who's kind of a a legend in texas you know kind of the the rebellious sort and i mean very loosely based but she's 100 percent who i was picturing when i was writing this character and so as you kind of go along i was i was thinking of of those things i was drawing on also a lot of um stories that i read when i was younger and i was kind of would um it, for whatever reason it would it would burn into my brain sometimes the little kind of throwaway moments that come from a certain character's perspective um Stephen King's thinner there's a moment where the you know we follow the protagonist primarily through almost the entirety of the story and then there's a moment where he's at one of his you know thinnest moments he's he's almost emaciated and he's carrying oranges because he's trying to eat so many calories to at least stave off the curse for a little while and a little boy sees him and king gives us i think it's barely a paragraph but it's a little divergence where the little boy has a nightmare about having seen this emaciated man carrying oranges and wakes up screaming that about this man who wanted him to eat oranges until he dies and i remember reading that and just thinking I, I don't know why but this is like one of the scariest parts of this story to me just this random thing of the people you're affecting with your horrible circumstance that are just kind of passing through and passing by and that's kind of how life would work though that you know you, the the sidebar characters are their own story in their in their life and this would be the most monumental thing that ever happened to them and it's it's like anything else if you see um, you know, I've, I've unfortunately, but I've, I've been witness to like a car accident a couple of different times in my life. And I, you know, after it happens, I can't stop talking about it to people. I'm like, man, I, I, it happened right in front of me. I can't believe this happened. And then I went over and tried to see if the person needed help. And I didn't know what to exactly do. You don't move them and all these other things. Right. I'm not the person I'm, I'm not the protagonist of that story at all. I'm not the anti I'm nothing. Right. I'm, I'm random person from the street. If we made that movie, right. The person who got in the accident is more important to me. Their family is going to be more important, but I'm still going to tell that story. We've probably all been in circumstances like that where you can't help but think of it in terms of as if I'm the person who's the, the main character in the story. So I think my writing style tends to want to give those side characters at least a moment to share what their perspective is on the circumstances. And I think it helps I, I hope it helps to 
um, fill out the story and make the, mm -hmm. the world that you're in feel truly lived in. Not that this person is just somebody there whose sole purpose is to support the protagonist and be, you know, a foil maybe for the antagonist or be um, a, a hench man or henchwoman for the antagonist. And instead is somebody who actually has their own life and their own thoughts and their own perspective on things. No, I love that idea. I, I, I love adding the side characters in and everything like that. I think it's great. Thank you. Thank you so I much. Am, I actually, uh, just really quickly, I just wanted to kind of throw in also, you know, because you were talking before about like the small town and, um, you know, the people who are really cagey about things. I'm sure you've seen that. You've seen the movie Cabin in the Woods, right? Yes, yes, where they yes. have the harbinger who's supposed to who's supposed to be that person to ward you away and be like you don't want to go there bad yes. things happen and it just kind of makes people want to go there more yes 100 it, it totally makes you want to go there more and, and again like and, and you know cabin in the woods is a, a fantastic example of that being like treated as the archetype right but right, like that yeah. that's a character that's been around the 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 gosh i can't think of the guy's name but the character's name but it's the character who shows up in like friday the 13th as well and he's like yeah. hey you know stay away you guys don't want to go over here but they never they always are kind of like you said like they're dupe, just right they don't call them the dupe it's it is it's kind of a like you said it it makes you want to go more it, it kind of mm -hmm. just raises yeah. the interest even though they're saying don't go there it just kind of makes you more and you can imagine in real life it would make people probably more curious about well if this is what you say don't do um i, I now i really want to go just to see it and just to test it and say <laughs> i did it yeah. and so there you know that that happens in the real world that happens it's it's used in fiction i think so often sometimes something comes up in fiction so often that you kind of forget that this is based in reality and it does happen in the real world you have i, I know in san antonio here we have a ton of places that they say hey this is allegedly haunted. These, um, you know, this area here, if you go there, be prepared to see X, Y, or Z. Um, and people that, that immediately, whether it's a warning or an enticement, it's, it kind of doesn't matter because if they say this hotel is extremely haunted and if you stay in it, um, something frightening is going to happen to you. That tends to attract more people to say, hey, I want to go there. Not only people that, pay good money for that. Yeah. Yes. If, if there's a specific room, they're like, I want that room. I want to go into that room and I want to be there. And if you say that at three thirty three every single night, that's when I'm going to like see the ghost by the window. I, I'm going to maybe stay up or if I have to go to sleep and wake up to it, because that's the way it's supposed to work, then I want to do that as well. So, yeah, like you said, the people that are kind of cagey about it, like you said, in cabin in the woods and, you know, you don't want to go here. That's the archetype, but it also, it, it works for a reason because we, we all know what that's like and we're all still our curiosity is driven by the idea of that is that which is forbidden curiosity kills the cat what was the same curiosity kills the cat satisfaction <laughs> brought it back <laughs> yeah and it's funny too because i feel like throughout the novel i can i can you because you talked about doing short stories i can see your short story now as you said about it, short story writing in it because there's so many ambiguous parts to the story that i absolutely love that the reader can make their own choice on. And I just love that because I feel like a lot of short stories give you those ambiguous endings and stuff like that. So I can really see your short story um, pro like writing coming through. And I love that. Thank you. It, it's I know it's, it's a risk 
And I'm sure then, you know, you can't please everybody. I'm, I'm sure there'll be some people who kind of want something more concrete. My mindset is always, even when you, especially when you're dealing with supernatural fiction, and this is very much a straight up ghost story, I try to get that out the way early too. I, I try to not make it a mystery because sometimes you have a story where it's, is the house really haunted or not? I, I want people to know ghosts are active and abundant. Um, and yet at the same time, lurking in shadows more so than in your face. But <laughs> when anytime you're dealing with a story like that and you're dealing with, you know, these kind of elements of of supernatural fiction and there's an attempt to provide a concrete explanation, I guess maybe this is just me and I'm wired weird, but I'm always thinking, well, the explanation just begs another explanation. Right. So like, you know, Freddy Krueger can invade your dreams and okay, he also acquires the souls of his victims and it's like well okay why and it, it's more interesting and i think the the movies that don't really try to explain it even they just like hey this guy was just evil enough that this is what he can do and just kind of run with it those are the better ones and then by the tail end of the series where they start trying to be like well he, he has there are dream demons that he sold his soul to now it's less interesting and then craven kind of brought it back to a more ambiguous stranger place with finally the you know the the last film that he was in charge of where it were you know kind of freddie is birthed of the imagination and kind of exists in a, a different dimension but also is feeding off of you know the evil of his imagination and you know there's still kind of this idea of why would he be able to do that but it's it's i think it's okay to leave the question as to why as opposed to trying to settle on a definitive answer it's like a dark version. Oh, wait, no. A darker version of the never-ending <laughs> story, which is already pretty dark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, I my my favorite Freddy Krueger theory um, is, uh, I don't <laughs> this was on uh, the show Robot Chicken, that his sweater was too itchy and his hat didn't match with his tie. <laughs> and he was just really grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's but, that's, um, that's, a, but no. that's hilarious. So yeah, I agree with you. Leaving to the imagination is a lot better than when you over-explain things. And you know, as a fan of, um, I was actually talking about this recently. As a um, fan of Doctor Who, you know, you had like the Weeping Angels. Um, I'm not sure if yeah, you you know what I'm talking about. So like when Weeping Angels first came in, they were scary. Because they just, they were these statues, which are mundane things that you see everywhere, be it in like a cemetery or just, you know, like you're walking around people like architecture and statues of angels or just statues of people. And, you know, it seems very tangible that these things are watching you. And if you're not looking, something is going to happen to you. Um, however, the minute... They did the Weeping Angels again, and there was somebody translating what the angels were thinking. They were no longer scary to me. I did not need Angel Bob. I did not need, like, anybody telling me what was in their mind because it then became let more rational and less malicious and less anything. You know, the unknown is always scarier than the known this is why i constantly read spoilers for everything because i'm like i need to know what happens so i know if i'm going to be emotionally wrecked and then i'm like okay i know that i can go into this or i know that i'm not going to be able to go into this um but things are always scarier when they are not explained when they're yeah 
and like same thing with like Twilight Zone episodes, you know, when you're watching them <laughs> and there's that thread hanging at the end, it's always scarier. 100 percent it's it's which is what's sorry, crazy about like the the side using side characters using yeah. their thoughts and everything like that because that's such a fine line to walk that sometimes a side character can give too much information and then there's the side character and it's such a perfect line that you walk that it was it was great i loved it i, I so appreciate that and <laughs> it, i just think of the movies or books that i've read where there is something that seems like a an, an aside, but it just really fills out. It completes the world to have this idea. And it also, again, enhances some of the mystery of the world. Uh, I know that Joe Hill, one of my favorite books that I've read in, I guess, this century is uh, uh, Joe Hill's Heart-Shaped Box. Yes! And, oh, I love that. I love that book I so much. I adore that book so much much that is so that much Gordon's are my favorites of his so good uh, he's and he's in in harp shape box there's a moment relatively late in in the book where he sees basically a phantom kidnapping that is almost entirely unrelated to what actually is the core of the the story and yet it really enhances this idea that ghosts are everywhere and ghosts it, he's he's not being uh, he, he's not trapped in some kind of isolated conundrum that he's being persecuted by his individual ghosts and the people that he's dragged into this inadvertently Judas coin. Um, actually, no, there, there are ghosts. You could just be in somebody's backyard um, who's trying to give you some hospitality on, on your way of trying to figure out your own situation. And then you might look into the backyard and see a reenactment, a spiritual reenactment of a kidnapping that took place. And this is just going to just burn into your soul and I just having those kind of moments, whether it's, you know, I, I do that, I think, with the side characters, people do that with, you know, different writers do that with like side stories. But I, I just want the world to feel like it's more complete. And I feel like that helps to do so versus um, if you're, you're writing a story and it's, you know, it, there are plenty of books that I love that just are super laser focused on a single protagonist, a single antagonist, and that's it. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's just my writing style and my own preferences tend to steer toward um, the idea that there, there's, especially when it comes to um, horror stories, there's this mysterious world all around us. There are these things that you just kind of stumble into. We, we all go down the rabbit hole. Sometimes you don't even go down the rabbit hole. And, you know, I'm, I have a lot of dilettante knowledge of, of just, you know, creepy things that I'm not, I haven't done the iceberg deep dive into, right? But at the same time, I'm just kind of con conscious of the idea that, oh, you know, these are the a, a, a few serial killers that were never, ever identified. And those are always the ones that stick around as the scariest. The ones that, you know, we could be decades, centuries, even sometimes later, wondering who was this person? And it's still creepy to us, even though they have to have been long, long dead by now. It's still creepy to us, the idea that this person not only was never caught we have like really zero true um certainty of who this person even could have been yeah we have plenty of those on long island <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> we've had like an entire like meeting about that like um program about that and everything like that we yeah. have plenty of those on long island well yeah i so i just kind of wanted to also um just sort of go back was there um a perspective you really enjoyed writing from um more than another perspective man it is hard to say exactly if there's a perspective i will say 
there probably is and it's probably <laughs> silly um writing from the the character of the villain Eunice in my story um because she kind of gets to tell the more of the old stories and that's probably why i enjoyed writing from her perspective more because she has more old stories to tell about the town the house what is you know the source of some of the strangeness that's haunting not just the house itself but haunting um the entirety of the region basically in the history of, of that region and so she has some some great stories uh that i i've really I, I was, you know, when I was rewriting it, maybe linger on some of those a little more and you're making excuses to, I, I want to fine tune this sentence, but really you're, you're just kind of indulging yourself a little bit and like, man, this is a really fun, creepy story, I think. And then there are a couple of um, events in, in the past as well for deaths. Um, there's one instance uh, in particular with, um, there's a importance of her great grandfather eric's grandfather becomes more evident as the story goes along and it's really it's weird to say because it's it's not a pleasant scene per se but it does i think just when i was writing it i, I really thought i was capturing the idea of how something can be very intense and frightening i think to someone from a certain perspective even if they're not directly being um i guess they're not being threatened. They're not the one that's meant to be intimidated. They're supposed to be being put in a position of, Hey, this is for your benefit, but seeing something happen to somebody else can just be so just kind of, it, it can really just kind of unspool your insides a little bit just to kind of feel that. And you can feel that sinking feeling. It's as I've gotten older, it's, it's been strange because I'd say, I mean, I still have a ton of nightmares because I consume so much horror fiction. Um, and, oddball horror lore and you know wherever i can find something macabre um but it, i'd say 90 percent these days of my nightmares are involving me not having anything happening to me i'm not being chased by a monster i'm seeing something horrible happen to somebody else and i'm powerless to stop it for some reason or another and writing something that kind of captured that sensation for me from her perspective definitely um those those moments, anytime I could, anytime I could get into the past, into the history of the story, those are definitely my favorite perspectives to write from. Those are my favorite perspectives to read too. <laughs> and I think I'm that's glad. too where the like multiple character perspectives come from, because being that everyone has their own personality, you've got Des who like really reminisces on the past, but the past as in recent past almost, and then you've got Eunice who reminisces on the past, but the past a while ago and then you've got eric who thinks about the future and what will happen when we're not on the run so all these different personalities being so both different and the same is what also helps too with how everything plays out that's i, I never even really kind of thought of it that way but you're right you're 100 right like eric's focus primarily is on the future um with within the the scope of this that's his drive that's the driving force that's the driving energy on this versus other people who are more so kind of consumed by the past and this is where this is clashing and um yeah this is i, I think that that does help having those different perspectives because that's that's real life too right yeah. different people are going to have a different level of importance on what affected them in the past versus how they're going to move forward and wherever you're at in your life, different stages, you're going to have different priorities on, on that. So I'm, I'm just, 
I hope I, I love that you guys um, liked like the story so much. And I, I hope that other people, you know, catch on these same things and that it it's a story that I hope kind of um, catches on with people that love horror, but also maybe somebody who's not so sure all the time about horror. I feel like I wrote a story that is firmly entrenched in the horror genre and yet at the same time could be accessible to somebody who maybe doesn't always delve into horror that often. It can be your your gateway horror story and see that the genre maybe isn't the stereotype that if you've stayed away from it for whatever reason, it's maybe not the stereotype that you've always thought of it as. And yet at the same time, I, I kind of like those stereotypes. I like those tropes. So I'm diving headlong into, you know, those are the things I grew up on, but these are the, the things I like. So I'm diving headlong into um, don't go in there kind of moments. Don't do this kind of moments and the, this, the building dread and the, the sense of something catastrophic and, and awful. It's that, again, I, I think of when I have, uh, you know, just the things that have scared me, I think of even like that, that sensation of I always try to capture when you're having a nightmare, but you don't, you don't know it yet. You're just having a dream. Nobody, at least for me, I've never like just dove straight into a nightmare. Whenever I think back to my nightmares, I can always point to a moment where I'm like, oh no, this is something's wrong. And I get this sinking feeling and I feel like I'm, I'm, a thread's being pulled on my insides and everything's coming undone. And I want you to feel that as a reader, like, oh no, something's gone wrong. This seemed relatively, you know, maybe hopeful, maybe something positive could happen. And now things are taking a turn and you can feel that moment when things are starting to sink and you can feel the the ground coming out from underneath you and there's nothing you can do. It's, it's the, the sunken place, basically that vibe. I love that Jordan Peele caught that so much. It's the sunken place. It's that vibe of, oh, I'm free falling in slow motion and there's nothing I can do about it. And I just realized that it happened. My big thing with it is like the liminal space that's becoming like a hot thing now. Yes. So yes. <laughs> like you, you've hit this whole new subject of like a liminal space book. And I'm like, so that's one thing I, I think is, is crazy because it's just like I said, it's so popular. It's so big on TikTok now that this is like a whole new genre, just liminal space book. A hundred percent. And it's it's one of those things. It's the concept of the liminal has been around for a long time, but kind of like Jessica pointed out earlier about the idea of spite houses themselves. It's kind of amazing. Some things that have been around for a while and are only just now catching on. We've kind of been on a treadmill a little bit sometimes with not just horror, but every genre kind of goes through this. You you find a thing that's been working, you kind of just run with that and run with the same thing over and over. And then all of a sudden, something that seems, something's going to seem fresh just because um, we haven't really tackled it properly in the past. And this is the opportunity to do that. So anytime people can can kind of take advantage of that, of that the back room's blowing up the way it did, it's such a just brilliant kind of concept of just like, oh, you can slip into this. And I, rem I remember reading a very, very, very short, I think it was a flash fiction piece years ago, about um, something, a similar concept of literally just kind of accidentally breaking the laws of physics. A, a guy who's like a professor, I think, is just tapping his pen on his desk because there's a physics theory. And I don't even know if this is true or not. But in the story, it says there's a physics theory that if you tap on the same spot often enough, eventually, like the laws of reality basically state that you're going to accidentally kind of push through that moment and then just kind of break reality down all around you and he accidentally does it and then of course too late realizes he's basically um you know he's kind of clipped into a, a, a different reality that he can't get back from and that was like gosh when i when i read that uh, uh, it had to be early 2000s that the 
the latest. It might have been late 90s. Um, and then nobody ever kind of did anything off of that. And now you've got the liminal space really blowing up now. And I think that that's amazing. That, that's what we should be doing hopefully more of. But at the same time, everybody kind of wants to have their turn too with the cool new idea. And I totally get that too. Everybody wants to to take the thing that's that's fun and interesting and say, well, I've got an idea built around that as well. I want to take my turn at that. So you're going to have have that uh, that working as well. So you got to balance all that out. I love it. This has been so much fun. Um, really, thank you so much. This has been great. Sincerely, yeah, for me too as yeah. well. This has been fantastic. I appreciate you guys so much. I I, I could talk about this stuff all day. And oh, I could totally, one hundred percent. That's why I'm like, oh, we we probably should we probably should uh, figure out a way to. To kind of wind this down, um, I, I did want to, yeah, really quickly, um, and I'm sure this will, will uh, turn into a, another <laughs> a big part of this. Um, the, the history of the town and where the house is built and all of that. Um, there are a lot of unfortunate stories like that. Yeah. Was there some? Was there something very specific that? Um, sort of launched that or um was it an amalgam of um stories about people being terrible um th there are a variety of those unfortunately like you said uh you know I'm, I'm down here in texas and some of that texas history is is pretty uh unfortunate uh, that, that could be said probably about just about everywhere on the planet when you really think about it but here in texas so i know i know a little bit more about some of that and yeah this is based it it was inspired and has some references some small references to a very specific moment um and a very specific incident that happened in a town or nearby a town called comfort texas where there's actually a memorial um that gets referenced kind of as a throwaway line in the book but that is the specific incident the real world incident the real world real, real world version of um what actually I'm writing about in the book as far as some of that backstory. And even the name of the town is actually taken from the name of the man who was behind commissioning that memorial. So definitely some, some, you know, sneaking in some real uh, history into the, uh, the more fantastical history that I, I have uh, crafted for the town. So there, there was a, a concrete specific moment for sure that was in mind for that. That's again yeah, building off of the real, yeah, building no. off of the realized stuff. I love it, and I think it's funny too. That's like this is like my favorite part about it is that you you went off about like you talking about how you liked folklore as a child and like the real life history and whatnot. And I just love that because you've taken like your love for like folklore and reading back then as a child and turned it into a career. And that's literally what I did. That's like the reason why I became a librarian was that I just loved Goosebumps books so much that I wanted to like work with books for a living. So I just love that. Like we both like took our childhood love and just ran with it. <laughs> that's the dream. That, that's, that's everybody's dream. And I'm incredibly fortunate that this has become my career. It's, it's a little late in the game. I'll take it. I'm, I'm happy. I'm thrilled that I'm I'm in this position now. And yeah, I've, I've always just wanted to tell stories and specifically stories that scare people and <laughs> stories that make you feel like, you know, a little bit anxious about getting up. You know, you close the book. And I remember being a kid. I, I don't want to get into too many different anecdotes. <laughs> I'm trying to be concise here because I know I'm, I'm over time probably. <laughs> um, but I, I do remember being a kid and 
the first time I read the Amityville Horror, which is, you know, that there there are a lot of problematic elements with the, the entire history of all of that. But as a kid, I didn't, I wasn't aware of any of that at the time. We just all read the book and watched the movie and were just massively entertained by it. But I, that was the first book I read that probably when I was far too young. And uh, I say the first <laughs> we book. Grew up, like, we grew up to... with the Amityville Horror House. So, yeah. It's like really close. Yeah. 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 So you guys know when I read that, um, I actually couldn't keep the book in my room and I, I didn't even keep it in my house at night. I would close the book and I was so scared of just the ideas of, of this type of haunting or something infecting the house. And I don't, I was like nine years old or something, I think. And uh, I would take it out to the shed at night. I did that, I did that too at Salem's Lot. <laughs> awesome. I love Salem's Lot too. That is such a fantastic, that's probably my favorite Stephen King uh, novel. And yeah, I, I was like, I can't have this book like around me overnight and so then i would wake up in the morning feel like okay the coast is clear go and i ever since then i was like man i want to i want to write stuff that makes people feel this way you know and especially if you can make somebody feel this way kind of as an adult even better no i love that's that's all awesome. i can't stop laughing from that that's awesome johnny compton this was great um this was so, awesome. when, this was so when, when can we get our hands on this book when, when is this officially out in the world official release february 7th less than a month away oh my gosh less than half or about half a month or so away goodness i can't believe it's, it's so close february 7th 2023 so it will be available wherever but support your local bookstore support your local library um I'm always going to say that. So definitely do that. Buy it, buy it someplace. Um, that's a little off the beaten path. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, so once again, so this much. was, yeah, this was Jessica with Say Awesome Libraries Turn the Page podcast. Bye, Melissa. Yep. That was Melissa. <laughs> and our guest was. It's your line. Johnny, Johnny you're up. <laughs> oh, it's my line. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know I had a line. We didn't rehearse this. I'm Johnny Compton. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. All right. And we are going to close this chapter of Turn the Page. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.